0: get to continue our sermon series fighting for unity today Uh, how many of you in the community time question answered the question what makes you impatient with sermon (laughs) hopefully no one but this is going to be a rough 25 45 minutes for you just kidding just kidding i'm not going to go that long okay Uh, I hope you did get in a great conversation. We get to continue our sermon series, Fighting for Unity, today. And it's been a great uh, series uh, talking kind of just openly about a very important issue to us to preserve and fight for unity in our congregation. So before we dive in this morning, let's just pray. Uh, Welcome God into this time uh, to lead and guide us through uh, his word as we look at that and as I have some things to share with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we desire most in these next few moments your presence. Uh, We want to learn from you. We want to be open to what you have to say to us. Uh, God, even now in this moment, we just lay down the barriers to listening to you um, and hearing from you that we may have brought in with us this morning. Uh, We give those over to you as an act of trust to say, uh, we trust you in this space to, to hear from you, to learn from you. God, we pray for this school as well. Um, This weekend's kind of a marker of the end of the school year for them. I pray that you would be with them in the next few weeks. Uh, God, as they close out their school year, would you give the students peace? Would you give the teachers endurance? Would you give the administration uh, just a chance to catch a breath these next few weeks? God, we love you so much, uh, and we invite you into this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, we're starting in this, or or not starting, I'm nearly finishing this series of fighting for unity. And uh, just so we're all on the same page, we've been having these uh, four or five points that we have brought up uh, to just say, this is what we're talking about in this sermon series. And and, and we want to state a few things about unity and why we're having this conversation. Really, we're having it to build our unity muscle as a congregation, our our, our muscle to fight for unity. And a couple things to just note here. It's normal to disagree. We want to just say in a faith community, in the context we're in, it's just normal to disagree. We have to be okay with that. But how we disagree makes all the difference. So we've been having uh, uh, discussions about how we disagree and how we do that well. We're also talking about relational trust being the core of of what unity is all about, being able to extend to someone maybe you know you don't agree with right off the bat, relational trust to have a safe uh, conversation even when it's tough. We also want to make the point right off the bat that unity does not equal uniformity. So when we're talking about fighting for unity, we're not talking about fighting so we're all similar or getting to a place where we're all the same. We want to recognize and celebrate that there's diversity in the body of Christ. There's diversity in this room of thought, of giftedness, and we want to celebrate that. And unity is not about becoming the same. It's about celebrating those differences and having a relationship with one another. The last thing is just that unity and, and working towards that is just non-negotiable. It's something that Christ invites us to do as the church as one of our primary activities. To, to work towards unity in relationship with one another. Now we'll just add maybe one more. I take the liberty to add one more this morning. I believe our neighbors, our world, craves for unity. I think I, I think I get the sense in my neighborhood that they're a little tired of all the division going on right now. They're a little tired of all the animosity that exists in relationships. And I think deep down, they desire to have an experience of unity, peace, and what the Bible calls shalom or wholeness. And and part of the series is us recognizing that we're the ones who get to work for that in the world that God created. When we participate with God, when we fulfill our mission as a church, we're the ones working for that in our neighborhoods. So this series is about fighting for unity, not just a. Among ourselves, but in our own contexts, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, in extended families. So, uh, uh, to continue this conversation, Michael introduced the scripture Ephesians 4 last week, and I just want to dive right back into that scripture and uh, read it again as so, uh, some parts of it as review, but then focus on a particular point uh, today. So, if you'll open your Bible with me, or it's going to be up on the screen to Ephesians 4. Uh, and we're going to read verse 1 through 13 this morning. Before, before I read it, though, let me give you a little context about this book in partic- particular and the community that Paul, the author of this book, is writing to. So uh, we're talking about unity in the church in this passage and unity and, and the church pursuing unity. But when I say church, you have a probably particular perception that pops up in your mind. And it's really important to note that who Paul is writing to here, it, they wouldn't have gathered like this. The best I think I've come to describing who he's writing to is like a mega missional community or a network of bunch of missional communities in the town of Ephesus. So missional community here at Mill City is a smaller group of people who are focused on a particular mission and having rhythms of eating together and uh, studying God's word together. And so you can imagine this like organic network of little house churches, if you will, or, or missional communities focused on particular things that pass around this letter from Paul. And I think it's really important for us to, to have that in our imagination as we read these words, and not have all the things that we think about as church. Not that those aren't good, and that they're not connected to the original thing, but, but, but Paul's talking to a different context here, and we've got to keep that in mind. So as we have that image uh, of people sitting at homes, reading this letter, uh, having real relationship with each other and being just feet away from their neighbors when they're reading this letter, uh, let's keep that in mind as we uh, jump into the scripture. So verse one, as a prisoner of the Lord, and Paul is a literal prisoner when he's writing this, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble, and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you have been called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So that first part is Paul kind of giving this vision for what unity is for the church and then he takes this little detour and then gets back to unity says but to each of you each of us grace has been given to Christ uh, as Christ appointed it this is why it says when he ascended on high he took many captives and he gave gifts he gave gifts to his people when he ascended uh, what does ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all heavens uh, in order to fill the whole universe. Anybody else confused at this moment? I'll I'll come back to that, okay? This is the part that I really want to focus on this morning. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach what? Unity and faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure and fullness of Christ. There's a lot of rich language in this. Just just a real practical thing. Paper was expensive back then, so I think Paul was trying to get as much theological stuff in here as he possibly could to, to, maybe he was a penny pusher, I don't know. But there's a lot in here. Uh, Let me address just this little detour he takes because it it, it comes back and is meaningful. And the detour I'm talking about is this little quotation in there and it's from Psalm 68. And uh, it's really interesting because if you look back at Psalm 68, this part in verse eight where it says, when he ascended on high and then he took captives and he gave gifts to his people. If you go back to Psalm 68, the quote is actually that he received gifts from the people. It's a passage where it's talking about this king coming, this anticipated king coming, uh, and what happens is he comes and he receives gifts from all the people, because that's what kings do, right? I think Paul changes this to gives gifts for a reason. He's trying to communicate something about the king. He's trying to communicate something about these gifts that Jesus gives, and the fact that he's giving gifts and not receiving. He's pointing out the fact that Jesus is a different kind of authority, and as it relates to unity, he's pointing out the fact that Jesus has a different way than normal kings and normal leaders in pursuing unity with his people. Instead of saying, what can I receive from you? Jesus is saying, I have gifts to give you. And what are those gifts? So this is really important. How Jesus brings unity through the church, through us, is through giving gifts. So what are these gifts that he, he brings? What are these gifts he brings? There's that short list, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Isn't it kind of confusing, like, why would Paul insert this list in this long thing about unity? It raises the question, what do these gifts have to do with unity? So uh, I asked you during community time, what's something that makes you impatient? And now it's my turn to share with you. so generally, meetings make me impatient, and particular meetings where I don't feel useful, or I don't feel like my gifts are being used, or I don't feel like the conversation's really going anywhere. And I've been confronted about this, and uh, it seems that I've developed this condition called mean meeting face. I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, maybe from me or others, but my my. Uh, my lips start to sag, and I get this really mean look on my face. I start like twiddling with my pen and stuff, and someone's got to snap their fingers and go, JD, back over here, back over here. But I think what I'm experiencing in that moment is what in some sense Paul is talking about here. And what I want to say is why he's talking about gifts is when the church does not operate within their giftedness, when we as a community don't feel like we're. Uh, uh, using our gifts uh, well when we don't feel like we're really in a sweet spot with who we are and we don't feel like we have much useful to offer or, or, or church and, and the things in the neighborhood we don't have things to apply or we can't apply our gifts in ways that are meaningful for us we ourselves experience that irritation. And what I want to say and Paul anticipates this is that irritation of not feeling uh, purposefully engaged in God's mission are purposefully engaged in what the church is doing, leads to disunity. One of the barriers to unity is you not feeling like you're truly experiencing your gifts the way God made you to be. And so preemptively, why he includes gifts in this passage, I believe, is he's saying, it's very important in this fighting for unity for you to know your gifts and to use them. For you to take time to discern if you're truly operating in the way that God created you to be in the church, but also in the neighborhood. And so, in a way, if we don't focus on this, the church itself can get this mean meeting face about the characteristic of how we are together. And that's kind of what we look like to the neighborhood. So, let me go through uh, each of these gifts and talk about what they mean. So these are all like really Christian-y biblical worlds where it's apostle, uh, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, but what do they mean? And h- how could you even live into them or think about them? And I know in a lot of different contexts, we've talked about these. Sometimes we call them the APES. That's just an abbreviation of all of them. Uh, so I only have limited a time to kind of breeze through the, these, but I thought I would do it in a way uh, that may be a little different spin on it. So as I said, Paul is writing to a church in a neighborhood. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about these and define them a little bit, but also talk about what they may look like in a neighborhood to give us a little more insight on which of these our lives might, might resonate with. Before I do, let me just make a few comments about them. Sometimes these, uh, this list can operate like a strengths finder or an Enneagram. There's ways in which we resonate with what's true about what's being said here, uh, and we identify with a particular gift. But that does not mean that it puts us in a box, like only one of these things is our thing. I think the church and each of us have the capacity to live into each of these gifts, but one of, uh, we more than often than not have one that's predominant, or kind of our lead gift, if you will. And it doesn't mean uh, that this is the only definition of who you are and how you serve. So let's just go through these and uh, try to reimagine what it could look like in your life. So as as I go through these, kind of be thinking, hey, this one resonates with me or this one doesn't. The first one is this idea of apostle. So when you hear this, uh, I, I don't know about you, but like I think of either the apostle Paul or the apostles that followed Jesus around or in modern day times, like someone on a billboard with a fancy suit who's asking money for, for like a jet to fly around the country and uh, do revivals or something like that. And, it has this connotation of like TV evangelist a little bit, the apostle, and that is not at all what this word means or what Paul's intending. It, it simply means the sent out one. So I think a, another way to imagine this are, are, are starters or entrepreneurs or people who have the spirit to say, what if, what if this existed in the neighborhood or what if this existed in the church? And they're kind of the first ones to say, let's go and do that thing. So. Uh, these redefinitions from the neighborhood perspective are from a podcast called Replacing Church. So I wanna quote that because I didn't come up with these, I'm not that smart. Um, but uh, this guy named Ben Kat who uh, goes through all these episodes about each of them. So if this isn't enough for you, I recommend that podcast. And he redefines the apostle as the cultivator in the neighborhood, the cultivator. So is there someone on your block or in your workplace who always is trying to start a new thing, always trying to cultivate new opportunities for the neighborhood? That's what apostles do. And if you're strong and you're that giftedness, you find yourself uh, staying up at night thinking, what could be? What if? We need people in our congregation and in our neighborhoods asking those questions. The second one here, this prophet, also equally scary and misunderstood. Usually when we see that, we think, oh, this person tells the future or something like that. We think of Old Testament prophecies that have come true. But usually in those instances, the prophets are just saying what's true then and now and uh, what timeless truths are. So often they're, they're, they're calling out the religious elite or calling out people who are oppressing others and saying, stop doing that or bad things will happen. And I think how this manifests itself in the neighborhood or in our workplaces are what I would call, and what Ben from this podcast has called, the activists. So there's people among us who are particularly good or feel called to call out truth the way it is. Sometimes these people are uncomfortable to be around. It's like truth for them, uh, even if it's not a a, a comfortable truth, is like a hot potato they can't hold on to. But sometimes when they try to pass it off, it's still very warm and it burns you when you receive it. But these people are also very important to say what's true and what's most important and what's going on in our community. These people, what keeps them up at night is saying, people need to know about this issue and do something about it. The other thing on that list or something else on that list was this word evangelist. And again, when we think about that, we think about someone on a street corner with a sign. Or someone passing out tracts or something like that. And that's not what's intended here. The word evangelist just simply means someone who tells good news. So is there someone in your neighborhood or workplace who is always the storyteller? Who's always telling something good that's happening? Or uh, I have a neighbor who always has a new gadget or something like that. And he's always explaining to me how this is the best thing in the world. Even though last week he told me about something that was the best thing in the world. I think this gift of just wanting to tell good news and wanting to create a space where people feel comfortable to try new things or have meaningful conversations is what Paul's talking about with the gift, or the gift of evangelist. Now, uh, Ben, who does the podcast, actually it takes a, a little different perspective on this. He calls them the host, which I think is really interesting. He calls them the host. These are people who practice hospitality naturally through conversation. They're easy and fun to talk to, but literally as well, they welcome people into their home. These are people on your block who, whose home you've probably been in because you've been invited over and you feel safe to be there. Next is this pastor. And, and pastor obviously means someone like me when we hear it today, but that's not what was intended back then. Pastor just literally means shepherd is what they're saying. So it was a profession back then that they were using as an analogy for someone uh, in the congregation or someone in the neighborhood. And these are people who have high empathy, people who are particularly in tune about how people are feeling and they themselves feel compelled to come alongside people who are hurting. And the church desperately needs these people and the neighborhood desperately needs these people. I think a more contemporary way to name the shepherd's role or gifting would be healer, or maybe you would say a soul healer. Have you ever had a, a coffee conversation with someone and you, your soul afterwards feels like it's in a healthier place? That's a shepherd. That's someone who can come alongside you in conversation and make you feel safe, known, and loved. These people are particularly good in situations of grief or trauma or, or struggle, and they're much needed. The last one and most boring one, and this is my predominant one, teacher. Just kidding at myself, you know. These people are important too. Teachers, the misconception here is that you have to have a degree or you have to have an expert in some field. And I don't think that's actually what Paul's saying here. He's not saying we need you PhDs, we need you master's degrees, although that's a helpful thing. What he's talking about more so here is not information as much as wisdom wisdom that comes with time. There's just those people in our lives that we gravitate towards when we desire wisdom in a particular area of our lives. I gotta tell you, I've learned more uh, from conversation, of coffee conversations with people who are wise in a particular area than I have in, in, in classrooms and during my degrees. And those people are, have what I would call wisdom. And I think the most important part of a teacher is the wisdom that we have to offer. And, and I know there are these people on my block. Uh, ben calls them sages. So there's people on your block that know everything about the neighborhood. They know everything. In the, uh, the people who kind of, in my neighborhood at least, kind of hang out in the front of their house. And you're passing by with the dog and you start talking with them. And this just this treasure trove of wisdom about how life works. and at least for me I'm fascinated in when I talk to him so which of these resonate with you which would you say how many uh, resonate with kind of the apostle out there or the cultivator in the neighborhood you can raise your hand it's okay All right, give me a peace sign I like that Um, how many you resonate with the evangelist or the host a lot of you it's cool how about how about the shepherd or the healer perspective yeah needed and how many of you are hanging out with me as a teacher? Cool, cool. Here's, the, here's what it comes down to, and the truth about the relationship with gifts and unity. If you, if we, if we don't engage in these gifts, if we don't engage in these gifts when we're loving our community in the name of Jesus, we won't experience unity. If you don't find ways to engage in this part of who you are, you'll be frustrated you have a mean meeting face like I have in meetings that I don't feel pers- purposeful in. If we aren't engaging in our God-given giftedness as a church in the neighborhood, we will have a mean meeting face as a church. You know what that looks like to the neighborhood? I do because I found him on Twitter. Here he is. It's a church curmudgeon. This is what we look like when we're not meaningfully engaged in our giftedness in the neighborhood, we tweet things like, Pastor, a source quoted on the condition of amininity, am- says your sermon's about t- 10 minutes too long. When we don't have meaningful, I'm just joking, but when we don't have meaningful ways to engage with our giftedness, this is what we become. And this is what the neighborhood perceives us as, as people who ha- just bicker about how long sermons are. Don't you want to be something different than that? Don't you want to participate in the neighborhood in a different way? If we're going to fight for unity here and in the neighborhood, we need apostles to keep us away from idleness and cause us to become more uh, and, 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 and help us to fight apathy in, in participating with God. We need you prophets to keep revealing to us what's most true and most honest in ways that are safe and don't hurt us. We need evangelists to keep creating space for people who don't yet trust God to feel safe. We need teachers to use your gifts to develop more understanding and wisdom in our congregations and in our neighborhoods. We need you shepherds to help us heal as we have bumps along the way. People in your neighborhood need you to function in your giftedness. The church, and especially Mill City, does not work if people don't participate with their gifts. Mill City Church is not a spectator sport. Mill City Church is designed for you to engage, for you to participate. That's why at every level of our life together, we have teams, because we believe that a representation of all these gifts is the best way to be together at every level of our congregation. In missional communities, in teams, in everything we do, we want to have representation of these gifts, because that's a holistic picture of what it means to pursue unity. I think a brilliant example of this was the respectful conversation that just happened. Our action and awareness missional community, which is, I would say, has kind of a prophetic characteristic to it, but is not full of prophets, if you will, not full of activists, created this really safe way with the help of others to have a respectful conversation about racial tension. And just a small tidbit, there was no pastors there, and it's not because we didn't want to be there, it's because we had other engagements. But I think it's a brilliant representation that you don't need professional Christians there for people to operate in their giftedness and create a safe space for our neighbors to have a conversation that really matters right now. Our neighborhood, our city, desperately wants unity and wholeness and peace. And God calls us to participate in that coming true. Don't you as an apostle want to start something new? Don't you want to be the one in your neighborhood to start something new that people connect around that maybe fights some sort of systemic injustice in your neighborhood? Don't you prophets want to be the one in your neighbor sounding the alarm to injustice or when people are hurting each other on the block in a way that doesn't offend people? Don't you as an evangelist want to open your home to your neighbors? Don't you want to be the house on the block that people feel safe to come to? Don't you as a teacher want to share what you've learned? Want to impart your wisdom, have a platform, have a space, have conversations where you can bring others along the journey? Don't you as shepherds want to be the first ones on your block to respond when someone loses someone? When someone's just having a tough day? That's our calling as the church. When we pursue those things in the neighborhood and together, we experience unity that god brings and the kind of unity that our world is craving and longing for i'm going to invite the band to come up and we're going to close this sermon as we've done with other sermons during this sermon series with communion and as the band's coming up i thought uh, what a great way to conclude this conversation on gifts I grew up, or I was kind of trained in a tradition that took communion every Sunday. And every Sunday, they'd, they'd give the words of invocation, they called it. And it, start, it, it always starts with, on the night he was betrayed. That scripture starts with, on the night he was betrayed. When we take communion, we don't always uh, remember that Jesus imparted this practice to us on the night he was betrayed. Talk about Disunity. Also at that dinner, his disciples were squabbling about who was the greatest among them. And in the midst of all that tension, in the midst of all that strife, in the midst of all that disunity, Jesus does this act of breaking bread and saying, this is my body broken for you. And pouring the cup and said, this is my blood spilled out for you. I think what Jesus is communicating as it relates to our gifts in unity and what he would want to communicate to us this morning as we practice this is that using our gifts and pursuing unity through them begins with self-sacrifice. It's not about what we can get out of this. It's not about what we, uh, us feeling like we're useful. It's about self-sacrifice, laying ourselves down for the sake of our neighborhoods and for the sake of our fellow uh, Mill City person as it relates to relationship with us. So I want to invite the communion service to come forward. And as you come down here, consider your giftedness. And may this be a practice of you saying, I understand how you've created me, God. And I lay that down before you, before this community, and before this city, to say, have your will. Do what you will through the gifts that you've given me to create unity in this city. Let's pray, and then you can come forward. If you're a follower of Christ, there's gluten-free bread and juice for you to dip it in. Let's pray together before we practice this uh, sign of unity that Jesus gave us. Jesus, that night when you did this with your first disciples, you demonstrated in such a powerful way sacrifice, love, putting others above your own Desires and and pains. God, as we think about using our gifts together and in the neighborhood, God, we want to embody that self-sacrifice. God, we ask that in the midst of this practice you would give us courage to use our gifts in daring ways. You would expose to us any barriers from us doing that, God. We enter into this time prayerfully, God, and we ask for your presence to lead and guide us and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God, would you be our vision? God, we as a church long to be ones who bring unity in our neighborhoods. God, would you give us the courage to act within our giftedness? This week, even God, would you give us opportunities to step out and build relationships with our neighbors through how you gifted us, God. We trust you for this, in Jesus' name, amen.